Hello, we are back with another Arby Road podcast, giving a little roundup of the news across the EU and across the world in the last week on Mondays as usual. Paco, how are you doing? How was your trip to Italy? Hey, hello. Uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm back, back to our Waco office in uh, Valencia. Uh, no, it was really good. Uh, the situation is a bit better. Uh, things are slowly going back to uh, normality. Bars are open, of course, there is still a lot of attention to be made, but uh, hopefully, well, I'm optimist uh, for the future. But we will discuss about this, I guess. As, al <laughs> as always with everything, Paco, no? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to have you back here in our adopted home in Valencia. Yeah. And let's get down to it. So first story that we'd like to touch on today is about the digitalization of justice across the EU. We've had some developments in this story today and over the last couple of days. Paco, do you want to explain a bit about that? Yeah, uh, so basically the EU is working on uh, a tutor proposal, which actually have been already approved between November and December, so now they are implementing them, on the digitalization uh, of uh, cross-border judicial uh, cooperation. Basically, uh, what they're doing, this like should help a lot to reduce uh, the times of justice, so like uh, the delays and to have a better uh, quality in judgments and also to make a chance of, uh, to justice uh, way more, uh, less expensive. So uh, hopefully should also result in a measure of uh, um, social justice mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, because we, basically what they're doing is that they are, uh, implementing this system where uh, the new new technology will be used uh, to do some of the uh, main process uh, of a trial uh, online. Uh, so, uh, for example, the uh, witness, the, all the people involved in the process won't have to um, be physically present during the trial. Mm -hmm. Uh, not only, but they will also create a, a decentralized system where a digital system, uh, which will unify the system of the various European uh, states mm -hmm. and which will be used to uh, share documents uh, and uh, uh, collect evidence. Uh, so, and collect and share the evidence uh, of a system so the exchange of uh, these documents will be way faster and also more secure because uh, uh, yeah both like they will go step to step with the uh, of course low on privacy and uh, with a system a centralized system uh, the centralized system with the um, with european regulation which will guarantee the security of this now you could think that this is uh, uh, at the moment like a sort of secondary thing because it's about process which are, uh, you know, which regard more than one nation. Mm -hmm. In fact, not only it's already more than 3.4 uh, million of uh, documents, of uh, documents of trials yearly that are, have these uh, modalities. So that regards one, uh, more than one nation, mm -hmm. but it's also, it's not only about uh, this kind of process, but it's also like it will uh, sort of uh, impose to the states to uh, digitalize and modernize their system. For example, this in Italy will be really, really important. You know, there are still uh, the lawyers, like with <laughs> old style, I don't know, arriving with the act uh, handwritten sometimes, <laughs> it seems. Uh, so yeah, no, it's really important step in my opinion. Uh, yeah, it's big. Um, in terms of 
the recovery fund, the recovery and resilience fund, I assume that you are going to be using this to promote the digitalization of the justice system, no, for member states? Yeah, exactly. It's one of the the uh, the, the like the, the field where I think the uh, recovery fund is going to be more important. So digitalization in general, uh, you know, also because like we have seen with COVID, how important it is and uh, uh, how important it is to change some of our uh, habits. Uh, so yeah, definitely this is one of the way in which the recovery fund will be used. And again, we you know we when the EU does something wrong, we are the first to criticize it. Uh, for once, again, now we need to see if this is actually going to be done and uh, um, the modalities and all the rest and the extent to which the recovery fund will be used. But if uh, they maintain the promises like this is going to be a really important step and a brave step and I think uh, really will change uh, in, in the for better the life of uh, European citizens. Definitely, yeah. It'll be yeah. interesting to see as well. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great step, but it's a complicated one, you know, all of, I mean, court cases, all that information online and everything, they need their cybersecurity to be flawless, you know, amongst a host of other problems. So we'll congratulate them at the moment, but I'm sure we'll be criticizing them again soon. Yeah, let's hope. But also, like, if you think about, you know, old people, for example, of course, it will bring a lot of problematics, like, you know, simply like people who are not that familiar with digital technologies, like it will be difficult for them. And so there are all a series of problematics, even lawyers, you know, a lot of lawyers are mm -hmm. uh, not that young, especially again, I'm, I'm thinking about Italy, but like, uh, <laughs> I'm sure this is not only for Italy as a problem. At the same time, I think it's a necessary step, is a step we need to do. Uh, it needs to be gradual. We can't be like, you know, uh, immediate, but like, for example, let's say we have another pandemic, we will have to be able to carry on with uh, trials without you know interrupting everything as it happened like this time yeah no you're dead right you're dead right on that mm -hmm. okay um let's move on then something i'd like to talk a bit about today and get your opinions on paco mm -hmm. at the moment there's a discussion going on about vaccine passports okay yeah so the basic idea of the vaccine passport is that in a couple of months in the summer when more people are vaccinated across Europe, they want to introduce a passport so that people who are vaccinated can travel, they can visit other countries. And by doing so, they're reinvigorating the economies of these countries. Now, Southern European countries like Spain, Italy, Greece, these nations who rely heavily on tourism, they back these proposals. And for that reason, it's a very good idea. You need to get the, these economies kickstarted again somehow. And if you're reliant 30, 40, 50% on tourism, you need, you need tourists to survive. Mm -hmm. The problem is it raises a massive ethical question as far as I can see in that if you don't want to take a vaccine, you're now renouncing your right to travel apparently within these countries. Now, of course, it's, it's far more complicated than that, but I just wanted to get your ideas on it. What do you think about the vaccine passport idea? Well, of course, as you said, it's a really controversial uh, topic in the sense that, uh, uh, yeah, of course, there are a lot of uh, things which come into play, privacy, uh, right to the side of your own health, right to free movement, mm -hmm. uh, even to a certain extent, economic reasons, like in the sense that, uh, you know, illegal immigrants probably I don't know how it will the situation be for them. 
Uh, That's a whole other level of complication. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, people like, you know, African uh, countries, of course, we spoke uh, about this, like it's everywhere. Like we don't know when they will be able to actually get the vaccine. So it's like, there are so many things to play. That said, I think it's, you know, uh, it was a really tough year. Well, the tough, the most tough year <laughs> for sure of, for our generation and uh, uh, probably after uh, World War II. So like at the same time, uh, it seems like a really good way to, um, again, a lot is on how you implement that, but it seems like a, a really good way of starting to go back to uh, normality. Now, I really hope, again, uh, I came back from Italy with uh, more optimism than usual, uh, more positivity. So I really hope that by summer, the situation is going to be way better. And so uh, in a way, more relaxed in general. Mm -hmm. So traveling, hopefully, uh, I hope we will be possible for, uh, for most of the people. And I hope also that most of us are vaccinated by summer. Not, not most of us, perhaps is too, too much optimism as, you know, van der Leyen. Yeah, we've only, we've only done 30 million vaccinations so far in Europe. There are yeah. 450 million people, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's true also that governments are saying now the process should accelerate and uh, uh, you know the, the I was reading about the UK apparently the result of the vaccine are good there now there there is more of a question another question because they choose to vaccine everyone without giving the second round exactly yeah it's different like in Spain and in most European countries um, they're trying to get as many second doses to as many people as opposed to rushing the first dose for everyone yeah. we're gonna have to wait and see which turns out to be better you know yeah, it's a risky move, for sure. <laughs> They're both kind of risky. Um, I mean, the Brits, yeah, I mean, credit where credit is due. More people are vaccinated and things are going to open up there quicker. Again, is one dose going to be enough? What's going to happen in the meantime? When will everyone be vaccinated for a second time? But you do have to give a small bit of credit to the government there for getting things moving. My question, a question for you about the passports, though, Paco, is that, well, it's, it's worth mentioning, first of all, that von der Leyen said um very recently that they are going to have a legislation on the passports this month mm. they don't know is that going to disallow people from traveling if they're not vaccinated but it's also worth noting that carrying a document for health reasons for traveling is not new it's not uncommon you know i know a lot of people who have if you have a replacement knee there's metal in your knee and you carry a card that tells airport security it's going to be but it's in the knee you know so carrying a document isn't an issue but why would you need to have the passport when you could just have a negative COVID test? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, again, there are a lot of other uh, variables. Like, for example, you know, like if you already had COVID, you're probably likely to be one of the last uh, of the last to get the vaccine because you are likely to be immune for a longer period or uh, young people. So, like, yeah, it's it's a bit controversial. And again. Uh, Again, I, everything that helped us to uh, go back to a sort of normality, I don't think we will go back to normality this summer, but at least to a more relaxed situation again. Uh, I welcome that. Mm -hmm. It's really controversial, I think. Why would you get a, call, uh, a document also? Uh, but also there's the point of like, I think it's fair. Why should people be allowed go to another place and risk infecting all those people? That makes perfect sense. 
But we're moving into really dangerous territory here with rights being restricted to allow different rights and people's rights being restricted to allow economies to flourish again. Yeah. I'm worried that the EU are going to look at it from an economical point of view. You know? Yeah. So like to, to, to think about opening rather than uh, safety. Also, because, you know, like even with all what we're talking about, the, the variants, you know, there is a lot of talking about the variants. It might be that one of these end up, ends up uh, uh, being not, you know, that the vaccine won't work for one of these. So like at that point you go, you relax everything with the passport and uh, you end up having worse results. I don't know, it's complicated. I, I, I would say that uh, it's still a, a good idea overall, uh, perhaps uh, not, be, not making it too rigid, but like uh, it's something that could help is not what we can rely on like completely. Let's wait and see what Maybe. the legislation looks like later this month before we, yeah. before we decide. Uh, just another quick note on the vaccine before we move on is mm -hmm. that calls are increasing now for people to share their secrets. Okay, mm -hmm. the big pharmaceutical companies do not want to share their secrets of how their intellectual property, let's say, about how they make the vaccines effective. Now, as we all could have predicted a few months ago, the US is getting vaccinated, Europe is getting vaccinated, they've bought <clears throat> the majority of the doses, the richer countries, and now other countries don't have enough. You've got Southeast Asia and Africa in particular, they can't develop the vaccine, they don't have the information. And it could be years before those those populations are vaccines are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Where do you come down on this topic, Paco? I mean, I assume we should be. <laughs> yeah, no. of course we are on the same position. But uh, that what I want to say is that it's not only an ethical reason, which is you know good enough, like just the, the idea that we can't leave certain countries uh, unprotected while others are. Uh, but it's also a, a matter of security, like it's also a matter of our health, like in the sense that, you know, uh, sooner or later you will have to sort of go back to normality in terms of uh, movement of people. Mm -hmm. And so like if you don't guarantee worldwide the security on COVID, uh, you will still have uh, danger for uh, Western countries as well. The other thing that I want to say in this uh, regard is like, of course, the example of Cuba. Now, Cuba, of course, is a non-democratic and controversial uh, regime but uh, at the same time like you know they are saying they will uh, guarantee vaccine for everyone going there which is by the way something that also european countries uh, could adopt in relation to the password we were discussing but also saying that it will share the formula of the vaccine with everyone and so like to basically contribute to um, health worldwide I think, I mean, yeah, in a case like this is really a scandal that there are, you know, these private companies are allowed to uh, keep secrets and uh, they should be forced definitely to share everything. Yeah, I, I mean, as I said, we all could have anticipated the political games that were going to take place about this time of year when the vaccine was announced. And it's, I don't know, I, I, I have no faith in pharmaceutical companies. We've seen... Countries in Latin America now are scrambling to make a deal with the Russians to get the Sputnik V vaccine. This is going to give Putin a strong foothold in South America and Latin America in terms of soft power, soft political power. Yeah. The vaccine. Well. 
Sorry? China as well. Like you were talking yeah. about Africa. I was reading that in certain African country, actually China is giving uh, their vaccine. Mm. Uh, well, so we've that... seen the developments between China and and moving through Africa, the, all the new the trade deals and everything that have been set up over the last two years. That's hardly a surprise, you know. No, no, definitely. But it will, as you were saying, with Putin, the same is with Africa, with China. Like they will have an immense return of image in those countries yeah. thanks exactly. to this. All right. So I think that's enough about the vaccine. Um, just a quick one. We're going to move on. We've got some. Nice things to say about France for a change. Uh, the first one isn't the big, the most important bit of news of the week, but I just noticed it there before we came on for a chat, is that the former president, Nicolas Sarkozy, has been found guilty of those corruption charges from all those years ago, and he's been given a three-year jail sentence. Now, two years have been suspended. He probably won't spend even one day of the other year in jail, but it's the general consensus, the, the conversations about this topic have been saying that Sarkozy wanted to run for president again. He yeah. now won't be able to. So that's good news as far as I'm concerned. It is a good news. Yeah. Um, such but, a nice guy, Sarkozy. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, toxic. Anyway, yeah. the real good news about France. Tell us, Paco. Yeah, so uh, again, we had a bit of bad news about France lately. Uh, we talked about when uh, the country was fined uh, recently by the EU. Now, I finally... find uh, so much money, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but symbolically about, yeah, uh, the, um, about the Paris Agreement, so the, they were not respecting the climate, uh, the criteria set by the European Union. Now, a good news uh, by France, they announced uh, that uh, uh, tampons will be distributed for free of charge to all uh, schoolgirls starting from September. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, we spoke about uh, Scotland, when, uh, which was the first country in the world to have uh, made this kind of uh, sanitary, uh, pa pa sanitary pads and tampons uh, uh, free for everyone. Uh, this is a first step for a European country, really important, uh, of course, in the sense that Scotland now is not in the EU. On that, they being They'll a be member back. of the EU brings some complications. Uh, in the sense that you need the, the law to, to, to arrive to a European legislation, probably. But in any case, it's a really uh, important step to fight uh, what is called period poverty, mm -hmm. uh, which is the uh, economic impossibility of ensuring adequate uh, hygiene during the uh, period. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will, uh, uh, they are saying, like one third of students would be uh, affected by uh, period poverty. Uh, without this legislation. So it's a really, uh, really important step uh, towards uh, gender equality. And also, I would say it's important to discuss about, you know, often menstruation, like the menstrual cycle, is a taboo topic. Uh, it's time to uh, move on and uh, uh, talk about this thing openly. And also that the legislation adapt to uh, consider these kind of uh, uh, problems. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, it seems as if it's only a matter of time until we're going to see this in most Western, Central, maybe even Eastern European countries. Now, that remains to be seen, but it's certainly a, it's such an obvious injustice that, yeah, this is a step in the right direction, but it, it's, it should be celebrated mm -hmm. briefly. And really, these are, these are things that should be happening in every country in the world today, no? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And more in general, I would say this, but more in general is part of the, the idea that, you know, health and uh, this is part of health, hygiene. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see how much hygiene is important in this period you now with the pandemic and all the rest should be really a universal right and should be all this kind of thing. Of course, there are women related problems. There are other problems for uh, men, again, other categories. Uh, so all these should be free and like it's, I think legislation should really start to adapt to the single the exigency of the single categories and guarantee uh, a real universal healthcare for for everyone. Absolutely. And these uh, other comments? Well, it seems it seems like it's probably time we have a podcast about gender equality, wouldn't you say, Paco? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So this brings us to talk about. Uh, our podcast of next Friday, we will have uh, Alessandra Moretti, a really important uh, uh, member of the European Parliament. Uh, she's one of the most uh, celebrated Italian politicians uh, in the past 10, uh, 20 years. 10. Uh, she's quite young. Um, no, that it's really important, I think, in this moment, because, uh, you know, the situation was already bad uh, before the pandemic, uh, the gender pay gap, which is the difference between how much a man and a woman is paid, uh, was already 14.8%. Now, uh, the COVID-19 crisis made it even worse. Uh, the uh, unemployment uh, among women grew of almost 1.1% as compared uh, of more than 1.5% as compared with men, where it's like 0.5, 0.6 only. Mm -hmm. And it passed from 6.9 to 7.9. So almost 8% among women. Uh, this is the European data, of course, uh, at the national level is even worse. Yeah. Uh, what else? I would say this is a really important podcast uh, because uh, uh, it's also about, we talk about Europe, but she's a, a, an Italian member of parliament. European Member of Parliament, but from Italy. Uh, and I think Italy is one of the countries where uh, gender inequality is most acute in Europe. We have a lot of uh, problems with that. We have a lot of uh, unemployment. There is still the idea where, you know, women uh, stay at home. Like, so it's really uh, an important discussion on that is also going to be the first podcast in Italian, but of course, uh, so a lot of gesturing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we will have, of course, subtitles uh, uh, available in English. in English, so uh, everyone will be able to follow this. And don't worry, I won't be speaking any Italian. It'll just be Paco this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope to be at the, you know, uh, able to keep to the standard, the excellent <laughs> standard you guaranteed. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. All right, uh, we'll leave it there. Paco, a pleasure as always. And yeah, everyone remember to tune in now on Friday for this, this special podcast in Italian. Should be fun. All That's right. Great. Thanks again, Paco. See you guys. Take care. Bye-bye.